Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us for this commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. 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 Well, we have a big shout-out to Tom in Myrtle Beach. Yes, how we would uh, interpret First Peter chapter three and verse nineteen in light of our Torah walk and not quote being contaminated by what we've heard from the pulpit. So we're going to be looking at that tonight. Here is First Peter three, and since we just got an incredible class from Rob Traficanti. We wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't want to not take this in context. So here's a verse before and a verse after, and we'll uh, do the best we can here. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The red stuff is 19. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. I thought Jim Cephas was king of the Yeah. You thought wrong. <laughs> 18, 19, 20. Three verses, one sentence. Which is, you know, part of the course when you're reading Paul. And uh, Peter seems to be doing uh, the same deal here. Of course, Peter does not create Greek words. Paul... I think five, six, or seven words he actually created by just jamming two of them together. He was German. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to, uh, in, in the same fashion of uh, biblical exegesis uh, that Taylor gave us a couple weeks ago, try and answer Tom's question about what this red stuff is, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. I think I already know what it means, which is dangerous. So let's try and get it from the scripture. So here we go. The methodology, if you recall, uh, that Taylor gave us started with what? What are we going to look at first? We don't want to take that verse out of context, but we want to read it in context. We want to get the genre of the book. We want to look at what the original audience thought was being said. Perhaps look at the character of the author, and then look at other scripture. I've added on that we should also look at other literature. That's the methodology that he presented to us. I think it's pretty sound. Can't go wrong. You know, there may be some other things that you might want to add. So what are the genres? Well, I built this big chart. Yeah. So you can figure out the genre that you're reading. Without it's all just, Greek to me. That's it. Just knowing the first letter of the book, you should be able to figure out from this equation what, what genre it is. Well, how many genres do you think we have in the Word of God? Can you name them? Right? So we got, oh, parables, poetry, narrative. Thank you. And those that are listening, they're actually uh, showing up 
on the uh, screen. I, I came up with nine. I do not call uh, a particular category law as many do. I call it instruction. I think it's more What do you have under the romance? Romance, yeah. You know, Song of Solomon, Solomon. sure. Some people might not say. think that's a romance book. I it's a letter. Usually with a purpose. Usually with a purpose. Now, I've written letters to many of you. What's the difference between most of the letters or epistles in the apostolic scriptures and the epistles that we write today? Give me a couple of differences. They were read immediately today. They are read immediately. Whereas then they went months, maybe years before they and when they, when I read a letter from you, you're the only one. Yeah. I'm reading General it versus. normally by myself. Versus. What were they doing? Yeah. Oh, reading wow. it collectively. Reading it collectively, publicly, out loud. Sure. What's another difference in the way the letter's written? Usually, now you address a letter to one person, and in this case, it was addressed to. This is just to a group, a congregation, whatever it may be. Sure. What else? He might have had somebody else write it for him. That happened with Paul, we know. He says, you know, I wrote the last part of this myself. You can see I did it with the horse pencil, you know. <laughs> what else? Difference in the actual creation of the letter. Oh, well, I don't know about that. But also in the, in the way that we write today, um, we, we have something in mind. And, and even if the person that's reading it doesn't remember right away what we had in mind or can't analyze it, it's always, it seems like it's always timely. It's prompted by an event. Yeah. It's answered yeah. and responded to because of an event. So it's not usually something that we we don't just write these days. You know, maybe 50 years ago, 80 years ago, maybe people wrote things just to kind of broad. Ours are very narrow in, in purpose. Exactly right. And as such, we normally throw them in a box if we're sentimental and save them. And when we pull them out 15, 20 years later, we know exactly what the event was right. and what caused it. Right? There doesn't seem to be a very global scope to the letter because of its focused so intent. And they can also be the ones we have are kind of narrow in scope. Yes. So this is correspondence. Yeah. Uh, and we have only two that out of who knows how many uh, going back and forth. Yeah. So, so we're going, and you got a lot of maybe helping along the way kind right. of thing. Good, good. So yeah. he's, he's probably a lot more careful with his word choice because kind of rare that you get a letter. Have you ever gotten a, a letter or a note from someone and you just you put it down and you're done and you just you look at somebody and go, that person can write. Have you ever done it? Yes. We're like, mm -hmm. what? This person has such a way with words. I feel so encouraged. We're all looking at you when you say that. That's right. <laughs> I feel so uplifted having read this letter or this note. That's incredible. Physically, <laughs> how do you know the letter came from me? It's really nice. Got your uh, email. It's probably my hand. It may be an ink pen. It's got my email. It may have a, a wax seal on it. But there's no doubt when you get when you get to the end. You have some vendors. 
I've signed it. How's that different from now? Uh, how's now different from then? Where's the second reading at the beginning? They started. They started. Paul, just in case you don't know who I am, an apostle, right? And that kind of deal. It's a little justification. Almost like it's a suit coming. Okay? Good. Any other things on our call? Yes? It seems like the structure of the ones back then versus the letters nowadays are like general principles that we all agree on, maybe one or two sticky points that yeah. you need to clarify, yeah. and then like some level of inspiration to, to encourage some kind of action. And okay. usually letters are like one of those nowadays as opposed to all of them wrapped into one. So would you summarize by saying that now we seem to be a little, a little more wimpy than they were before? Yes. We probably didn't use hashtags with epistles. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> to be that's right. Or yeah, that's exactly. it was or, 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 uh, uh, probably tags. <laughs> just tags, period. That's right. Smiley face emoticons. It's emoticons. It's smiley face emoticons. Actually, it would have helped. All right. It would have helped. Smiley. Would have said that. That's frown there. Was he? Smile face. So he wants to. He wants to send this guy. It was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> that was a funny face. Yeah. All right, so so we got the genre. We're okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we move on. I think this is one of the coolest pictures. It's very cool. Right? It's bogus, but it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it brings to mind the scripture. I got a guy, you know, armpit deep in the water, and I've got this. This really strong carpenter's arm holding him right where he is. Say, uncle. Come on. Say, uncle. I could you? No, that's not what he's saying. What's he, what's he doing? Pulling him out. How did he get that far from the boat? Holy cow. Huh? Man. I'm walking if you've ever been to the Dead Sea, it's kind of we hard. Could to almost that, you can almost do that. You can almost it anyway. Alright, so I put Simeon Peter, not Simon Peter. Second Peter begins with Simeon Peter. That's, that's how he puts his name. Second Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles. Not your, not your garden variety exiles, but your elect exiles. Exiles. Your concert of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I put the letter away. I've been just so encouraged by that's that. Awesome. Just, wow, wow. What a, that's what you think of me? I got a bunch of birthday cards. This is like the birthday card. <laughs> Unbelievable. Tell me about Peter. Random thoughts. Taylor. He, among the apostles, had a little bit more of a forward personality. Wow. Bold. That's so politically correct. That's great. Bold. I like that. He, he put his foot in his mouth a lot of times and tended to be the ad hoc leader of the group. Why did he put his foot in his mouth most of the time more than anyone else? And was why zealous. was he the ad hoc leader, do you suppose? Chutzpah. He was zealous. He had chutzpah, but more likely, 
He was the oldest. He was the eldest. <coughs> eldest, excuse me. <laughs> he was the eldest and of the group. <laughs> Good. What else can you tell me about the Peter? He was one of three in the mountain. Okay. Peter and the sons of Zebedee went up there. He saw the transfigured Messiah. Pulled back the skin. <laughs> Lord passing through. Hello? Hello? What else? Yes. He's a more active guy. He's, most of the time when... when He's doing something where he's making things happen. He's not, okay. just, he's not just hanging He's out. a player. Yeah, he's, he's a player. Involved in whatever we're reading about. Good. I like it. Yes. At one point in Peter's life, I mean, he's a fisherman. He probably was not a poor fisherman. Um, he did say that we left a lot to follow Yeshua. Yeah. But also, he is, in the beginning part of Acts, noted to be uneducated, whatever that means, but if you look at the... He didn't get to go to Yeshiva. He didn't get to go to Yeshiva, but his letter is very well written. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So he's definitely, uh, from uh, perhaps that point forward, or before that, it just wasn't recognized. He was a smart guy. Or at least could write well. So, I, I would not say that smart and uneducated are mutually exclusive. Right, right. Right? Okay. And you have to remember who was saying it. He had a mission towards his own people, the Jews, as opposed to Paul's. It's funny you say that. Gentile. He appears as the elect exiles. Who is he writing to? Jews or Gentiles? Only Jews. Jews. Only Jews? Really? Mostly Jews. Jews that married Jews, but otherwise just Jews. Only Jews. I'll try and dissuade you a little bit from that. But it is known... Generally, well, that Paul had the ministry to the Gentiles and made it clear in the scriptures, and Peter was clearly the player that did to the Jews. Isn't this the letter in which he says, "You were once not a people, but, you but now you are a people. You were not a nation, but now you are a nation." He does say that. that. Be, I believe there was another another prophet who said it to just Jews. That's right. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's why there's that's why there's the reason why we would lean towards him being the apostle to the Jews is because Paul made such a big thing about saying, Peter's got that that gig going. And I'm going to the Gentiles. I tried to go to the Jews, but the build was filled. Okay. What else can we say about Pete? He's impulsive. He tends to be impulsive. Speaks first. It's not, not necessarily a bad thing, but no, he, no. he oftentimes moves quickly. It's like the walking in the water scene. Yeah. You know, hey, it, it, really if it's you, you, come on. Tell me to come out there. Yeah, good. good. Well, so know. he's not afraid to step out on his faith. Yeah. Oh, no. Or fall on his faith. Although he does have, I think he does have some issues with peer pressure. We see that both at the beginning sure. with the denying of Yeshua and then yep. later and in then line with the, uh, with the eating of With the Judaizers coming up. Sure, good. Well, and then another thing with him where he seems to act first and ask questions later is when at Yeshua's arrest. He just comes out with the sword and chops Malchus to zero. Right. And, yeah. you know, Paul having knowing that when he withstood Peter to the face, yeah. I find that very remarkable. Well, I, I tend to think it's because Pete didn't have the sword with him, you know. He, he yeah. wasn't carrying that day. <laughs> <laughs> Good for Paul. <laughs> Good. Would you say this man, after everything happened, would you say this man was afraid 
to share his faith? No. Would you tell me, of all of the apostles, who is it that stood up on what is called the day of Pentecost, on Shavuot, and preached an incredible message that caused thousands to accept Messiah, Yeshua, as the Messiah? This man, who is this man right here? Mm -hmm. This is not a slouch. How many of you have read 1 Peter? How many of you have read 2 Peter? How many of you have not read 1 Peter in the past six months and could use a review? Good. Alright. He's writing to this dispersion. What do we know for sure about these people? They used to be somewhere else. They used to be in the land. Presumably, yeah. And now they're not. Guaranteed. They're not there. About what time do you suppose he wrote this letter? Ish. 40-50. Why, why would we say not 20-30? What's that? 20-30? Yeah, 20 or 30. Yeah. Why would The Messiah is still here. Messiah is still there. In fact, in 20, he's probably not an apostle, right? He's in Talmud. Okay, good. So, 40-50. Why don't we say 70-80? After the destruction, the temple already been destroyed, and and we we've got some pretty good church evidence from the Catholic Church because they love this guy. I mean, first pope, right? Pope one, Pope Peter, right? Yeah, we got pretty good evidence. He died in somewhere between sixty-seven to sixty-nine in the Common Era. Sixty-seven to sixty-nine in the Common Era. Okay, so this is his first letter. We know he wrote another letter. So forty, fifty, maybe even as late as sixty. He could have written this. But no, probably not any later than that. Okay? What do we know about his death according to the church? Why would he get crucified upside down? He requested it. Why did he request it? He didn't want to die the same way his master died. I'm not good enough to die the way my master died. Let's flip this bad boy. Also, Which, if you think about it, what kills you? Suffocation. You suffocate. Because you can't, you just, eventually you can't push up, right? So how do you die when you're upside down? One of the things that's really interesting about this letter is uh, you mentioned Shavuot earlier, and um, one of the things that stood out about Shavuot was that they were all people from different countries, Jews specifically, from different countries who were in Jerusalem from Shavuot, and Peter speaks to all of these different groups. It's, it sounds very similar to this entry here because he's like he's speaking, I think, to Jews. You may not be, but and he labels all these different places, just like those Jews say, oh, I'm from here, from here, from I'm, here, from I'm here. hearing this message in my own tongue. Yeah. <laughs> so and I don't think it's at all... These guys. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's at all improbable. I think about it. Who did, to whom did Paul write? The Gentiles. Which Gentiles? His own. His Gentiles, the guys that he led to Messiah. I don't think Joshua's wrong. I think... This letter is going to the guys who accepted that Yeshua was the Messiah and after Shavuot went home. These are the guys, potentially, who came to know Messiah by way of Peter. It could be. Either way, they don't live in the land at all or anymore. Either way. Good. Any other comments about Peter? Any other comments about the time? You think his audience knew? 
I think you're right. Isaac said yes. How many think his audience knew him? He didn't mention a lot of people at the end like Paul does or anything like that. Well, so what makes you think his audience knew him? You knew him personally and knew of him? Either way. Because presumably speaking to his people or to Jews, then he would assume that... If they didn't know them, they knew of him, right? right? It's their reputation. I would think it is their address. Being being one of the twelve, I think he has has to be pretty... He's a play. He got a lot of well, plus, plus a different. This is this is pre CNN, pre Twitter, pre YouTube. Al Jazeera, maybe, maybe. maybe. <laughs> but um, the point is, there's no news. Peter preached this big sermon last Sunday. X number of people showed up. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, so you kind of have to know of him in the sense, like, we know of people. Like, you hear word of mouth, you hear stories. So and so went to go visit Jerusalem for the festivals. He came back. There's this great guy named Peter. You yeah. Have to, yeah. Where do you think he sent the letter? You think he sent it to the synagogue. The synagogue. Synagogue. Five towns. Actually, Galatia's not a town. It's a big area. It's a a really big area. So five places, groups. Where do you send it? One of the time. I ask you what a guy sent to the synagogue, would it have been read? Well, if almost all the people in that synagogue happened to be there on that day, I would say yes. Just because there's only five places doesn't mean there's only five copies of the letter. Like, for Croatia, there's Good. multiple synagogues. It's interesting that you think there's copies of the letter, not just one. Yeah. So, there could be five. It could be one. They copied it, sent the original onto the next one. We really don't know. I mean, in turn, one after another. It, it could be that he said, You five guys, here, take this abroad. We don't know. That's, that, and that might help explain the uh, dictation. Because wasn't it Hillel who would sell this stuff to the temple? And he would dictate let, uh, one letter, but have multiple people write it down. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. So and then it would, it would go. Right. I mean, like, like you said, there's, there's no, there's no internet. So how do you do that? In a way, in a way, the opening phrase "who are elect exiles in the dispersion" is kind of like a left-handed compliment. They're elect, but he says exiles in the dispersion, and these places are Greek-speaking. He's. Uh, He's, he's, in a way, he's dissing them. They're not in the land. Why are you there? These, these people are, and if these are the same group that came to, to Jerusalem on Shavuot, these people are Hellenist Jews. Yes. Um, which means that if we were to put it in a, in a, in a form of Judaism today, today, we'd say these are the conservatives. Exactly. Not the Orthodox. Exactly. These are the conservative Jews. And to your point, is there a diaspora? When he's writing, no, not that kind. They could go. They could go back to the land. This is this is like an anomaly, self exile, right? This is this is like this is uh, like today. It's like the Jews. Yeah, yes. The the New York City Jews don't want to go home. They could, but they don't. This is an anachronism. They're in the dispersion, but they didn't need to be. It's like most of the people stayed in Babylon and didn't come back. Precisely. 
Okay? We good? We feel good about who he's writing to? Feel good about who he is? And you know him from the Bible. One quick question on those Woo. cities. Those cities are towards, like, Turkey. That, that's not Babylon. Lebanon. Lebanon. So the dispersion, I'm just curious, like, are we... It, are these people who have moved on from the Babylonian exile, or no. is this possibly so Hellenists. are these well, uh, yeah Hellenists like moving on from business reasons? Mm-hmm. Are these like maybe springing remnants of the ten lost tribes kind no. of deal? As far as I'm concerned, these guys, in my opinion, strictly my opinion, are representatives of those who came to Jerusalem right. for the festival, yeah. and in so doing, demonstrate their obedience. They're religious. To God. They're religious, but they're, they're... They're religious to the point where they'll spend the money to come to the festival. Mm-hmm. That's business, man. Otherwise, how would he know these people? Right. He didn't leave. Okay. <laughs> we just talked about all this, right? Uh-huh. Isn't this a, a cool concept? That's a... Uh, it is. It's what? That's a, that's a new one. Dandelion. So that's a new show, social that's their logo. Oh, you know, so I have seen it. Really? Yeah, yeah. 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 I've seen it. It's, it's a little startup. Yeah. Social, social media social called the diaspora? Is it made up by Jews? Come together. No, no, right now. I think they use the Soros. It's the Soros. Yeah, okay, look at that. Okay, so we got the chart. We got the original audience. We've seen the character and the author. Everybody with me? Who's trying to lift up... Rob Taylor excellent, here. Excellent. I'm going to come up with six different names for him to know. Call him Rob. Yes, he's from Actually, no. That's it's true. How about you? No, it's his father. Oh, it's Yoko. Oh, that's right. It's <laughs> Rob Yoko and Ben Yoko. All right, so <laughs> next we look at the context. You ready? Yes. If you don't have a Bible, there's 30 of them over there. Electronic works. Is that like a little knee ledge to hold it up for you? It's so cool. I like it. All right. First Peter, a context overview. Gentlemen, I got 90 minutes with you if we start on time. There are five chapters in First Peter. There is absolutely no way. I timed it yesterday. I was going to have you just say, okay, we're pausing the tape. Everybody read First Peter chapter 1 through 5. There's no way. Can't do it. So I picked out what I thought were key phrases or sentences within First Peter. So I'm going to ask you to go around the room, don't argue, just start reading. One, five through six. What do you got? Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And thus you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with it, with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Okay. So there are various trials going on. <laughs> no, it was good. No, it was great. It's all good. It's a great content. Love it when you read the scripture. So, guarded by God's power, but we're grieved by various trials. Because I want you to know what this man is describing and what he's saying to these people. Chapter 1 and verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be 
brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Anointed Prepare your minds for action. Gird up the loins of your faith. This is great. 117. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Action. And now conduct. Conduct yourselves with fear. 2, 11, and 12. 2, 11, and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So here we've got a very key phrase. He wants them to abstain from the passions of the flesh and keep their conduct among the Gentiles honorable. One point for those that think this is written strictly to Jews. Certainly, mm-hmm. Jews in Messiah Yeshua. But I would argue, even if they are Gentiles that have come into the faith, this phrase would still apply. It applies to me, right? Yep. I want my my uh, uh, conduct among Gentiles to be honorable. Can you see that we've got a lot of action words having to do with my behavior? Yep. Okay. 219 and 21. Go. This. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this we have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Outstanding. So, we want to endure those sorrows while suffering unjustly, but... If we do good and suffer for it, we're just like Christ. Which leads him right into chapter 3. Good. Alright, chapter 3, verse 1. we got the wife. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And we got conduct again. Now we're talking about the wives. In every single reference... <coughs> He is saying, how you act is so important. It's not what you think. It's not what you say. It's the way you act. What you do will affect other people, will bring glory to God, and will bring shame to those who mess with you when you're suffering for doing good. 311. I got that. Yes. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Do good. Uh, don't, don't I get emails from somebody that says, be good, do good? Yeah. 3.16-17. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better uh, if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. There we go. Right? right? Isn't that great? Good behavior... It's better to suffer for doing good. His whole concept here so far, we're into the third chapter, is do good. Taylor, 4, 1 and 2. Since therefore Messiah suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Okay, so... This one's critical. 
because now we've turned that corner from just conduct and, and then looking at Christ's example in chapter 3. Now in chapter 4, we're looking at, hey, there's the fleshly side, there's the spiritual side of our walk. Paul talks about this. Live in the flesh no longer for those human passions. Walk in the spirit, cease from sin. It's all still. It's not a theory. It's not spiritual. It's all still physical. 4-7. The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. What version is that? No, that's it. For the sake of your prayers. That's good. What NASB? version is that? NESB. NESB, thank you. I knew I recognized it, I just knew it wasn't NESB. So, self-control, <laughs> sober-minded. You know how it is. You know, you memorize everything in New York and Standard. And you read the NESB, and <laughs> and like, crap, popular Bible. crap, I can't find anything in this Bible. He's <laughs> talking about conduct, man. Being your actions, not what you think, but what you actually do. Yes. And you mentioned probably a year ago, two years ago, how every time you can't couldn't wait to start a new job because that was your new beginning. Clean slate. You could by your actions alone because it's not what you think it would work. It's all in what you do and what they see you do. Exactly. It doesn't matter if you walking down the street if they see you doing something, they're going to assume that's what kind of person you are. It doesn't matter what you're thinking. Yes. One question. It does seem like this verse number seven, the end of all things is at hand. That's another important thing to keep in the context of the you bet. messianic. Yeah. He he is Ooh. definitely into Messiah returning because through this all, he's got this hope underlying deal that he's going to come out with. Good. It's good that you pick it up. Four seventeen. This is the kick butt phrase. For it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God, and if it begins with us. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Ouch. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Ouch. This is extraordinary. This this is not being preached in the visible expression of the church today. Right? Now we get a feel good, do good. I mean, I heard uh, Reverend David Chadwick on the uh, radio this morning giving his quote unquote moment of hope. And his moment of hope was along these lines. If you're sitting there and thinking about self-destructive things and how bad you are and how nasty it is and, and you're believing these thoughts, this is bad. You need to put those aside. You need to mute those. In fact, I would go so far, he says, you need to silence that completely. And you need to think good thoughts. You know what that is? That's a lie from the devil. That's the that's the that's those are the, the shepherds that claim to prophesy. He says in Jeremiah, I did not speak to them. They did not hear those words from me. You betcha. And in James, he makes it clear. If you're a teacher, oh baby, have I got a standard for you and you're not meeting. Yes. I was just gonna make a comment that sounds louder, please. <clears throat> sounds very similar to what we see with uh, Joel Osteen. Oh, same, same I mean, thing. you can name any player out there. I just heard him on the radio. Yeah. I think it's important to to notice that judgment that's going to happen is for those who do not obey. Mm-hmm. Who do not obey what? The gospel, the gospel of God. Now, how would you phrase that so that I can go look it up? I'm looking for gospel of God. Where are the instructions? Because I, I want to be obedient. I believe in Jesus Christ. 
Maker of heaven and earth. Who <laughs> <laughs> descended. Yeah, that's right. We're getting there, right? Okay. <laughs> are, they, are, they not the, are they not the mitzvot? Are these not the commandments of God? Or is this not where he said, hey, this is what I want you to do. And when you do this, you'll glorify me because they, those Gentiles outside the faith, will see and glorify me. When Peter says it's time for the judgment to begin with the household of God, what is to what is he alluding? It may be Yom Kippur, but I think it's beyond that, Jonathan. Come on, give me a little bit more. You mentioned the Well, the apocalyptic world There it is, right? So that ultimate judgment, right? It's not the goats and the sheep. It's the sheep and the goats. Well, and then two... He's tying all that in with their suffering, and he's being a cycle of Jesus, Yeshua, literally. He is remembering that Yeshua, when he painted things that are going to happen in the end times, he ties in persecution of his people as a precursor. As a sign, absolutely. So Peter is looking at the things that are happening in the world at the time and seeing... A, what appears to him to be a global persecution of the believers right. and is saying this is what Yeshua was talking about as one of the things that's going to happen before the world ends. And we look back 2,000 years later and want to shove our noses up in the air but he was exactly right because what he did is an example for us and every generation after him. Alright, lastly chapter 5 and verse 10. Who's got it? And after you have suffered a little while God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal, eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And there we go with Jonathan's comment about a focus, an underlying hope about the coming of Messiah and the setting up of the Messianic age. To me, that's, that's the whole overview. Trials are happening. You need to prepare for action. It's your good conduct that counts. Abstain from those passions. Suffer well. Your good behavior is what counts. Do good. Cease from sin. Control those fleshly passions. And exercise self-control. That's the book. That's what he wrote. I love this guy. So why do we have so much theology come out of First Peter? <laughs> Do good. It, it is... An amazing thing to me that the vast majority of our seminarians are actually taught. <laughs> Better scrunch down this. It's okay. You've been redeemed. Yeah. Is that uh, we snatched you out of the fire, and even though you still smell like smoke, it's all right. Actually, the fact that you smell like smoke is it's a good thing. <laughs> But the seminarians are taught that the Gospels were descriptive and the epistles are prescriptive. That we should get our theology from the epistles. We believe just the opposite. We get our theology from the Torah. It's enhanced by the Ketuvim and the Nevi'im. And that Ketuvim includes everything written about Messiah. Okay. Bottom line? Yeah. Did you notice the smoke? The smoke? smoke up there. Yeah. Don't miss the smoke. <laughs> what, what, was, what was that? What was that weird picture? 
There's a picture of the suffering Christ, which is what he talked about. Yehuda. Gotcha. Suffering. Gotcha. All right, so we got genre, context, original audience, character, the author, and now we're going to look at other scripture and other literature. Are you following with me? Are we okay? Yeah. You're feeling okay? You're not falling asleep, are you? I want you to fall asleep. All right. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went to proclaim to the spirits of prison, because they formerly did not obey. Well, now obey makes a whole lot of sense. Because his whole thing's about obeying. They did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which of you, that is a person who brought Satan the water. Now, I think, in light of Taylor's class, we should actually put up an extra verse to make sure we've got it in context. That's important, don't you think? For it is better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will, then for doing well. For Christ suffered once for sins. He's just given an example. It's better to suffer for doing good. Did Christ suffer for a good cause? Yeah. Me. You. <laughs> I would offer that the font is actually reversed. That the, that the statement, or it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be... God's will than for doing evil is the point and the expression, as you aptly said, here is simply an example. Exactly right. That's all. That's it. It's just an example. It's just an example. And because it's just an example and not a theological statement, he's only recording history. So therefore, the rest of what we see in this must also be simply historical narrative. But I digress. Let us move forward. There's only a minute. Wait a minute. That little phrase there. This, um, this little phrase? Which little phrase? Where he talks about Was Noah. it this phrase? That whole little section this. there, he brings up Noah, Yes, is really interesting because he... Uh, I recall correctly, doesn't Second Peter mention Noah? We're not up to that oh, yet. Yeah. Point being, Noah is a symbol. We're say. not up to Noah yet. Uh -oh. We get to know him. We're supposed to talk. Take your time. I can't wait. I know a guy too. <laughs> you know a guy. Alright. Spirits in prison appear to be the issue that we need to do. Right? Does everybody agree? It's a, he proclaimed to the spirits in prison. That's weird. How many of you know spirits in prison? How many of you know people in prison? How many of you know people that want to be spirits in prison? Okay. How many of you know people who want to be spirits? Okay. This is the, this is what we need to, to take a look at here. So let's let's look at that. So spirits in prison. Do you have a spirit? Trick question. Do you have a spirit? Are we Greek? Do you have a soul? Yes. 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 Or are you a soul? Five different categories of spirits. I have a neshama, I have a ruach. Exactly. Exactly. So this is a definite definer. These are spirits that are in prison, as opposed to, as he put in his previous paragraph, flesh. He died in the flesh, was alive in the spirit. He's opposing the two. So, this is not flesh, this is spirit. So, what do we know about spirits in the apostolic scriptures? 
There's good ones and bad ones. There are good ones and bad ones. And they're always associated with some type of being. Right? It's a being. In fact, pneuma, which is the Greek for spirit in this case, or ruach, as uh, Joshua has given us, are, are comparable words. These are the words that are used for this wind or spirit or breath, if you will. So, can you think of any references to spirits in the apostolic writings? Or spirits, meaning individuals or beings, in the Tanakh? Well, we get um, it's being mentioned spirits in prison. Yes. Because that phrase almost exactly it reappears in Revelation, talking about Babylon, that it is like a, I think it's a prison for evil spirits. Right. So we do have spirits. So as as I'm talking, you should see a great number of references <laughs> in the apostolic <laughs> scriptures that have to do with spirits. In fact, it's one of the most commonly used expressions in the apostolic scripture. We're going to memorize every one of these tonight. There's a lot of spirits. In fact, almost all of the amazing stories of Yeshua the Messiah as he walks on the planet is his interaction with these spirits. In the apostolic writings, they're almost always evil spirits, or demons, as we call them. But that's the spirits. That's what the scripture says. And consistently, spirits in prison has to mean spiritual beings that are in prison. Bound. They are bound. They're Captive. So I wonder, maybe you've got, you know, any kind of references going through your head about prisoners, captives, ransom, confined, anything like this. Does something come to mind? Yes. I think of, well, two things, but Jude talks about the spirits who are in prison bound with heavy shackles. Absolutely. We're going to get to that one because that's where I want to go, but I'm looking for others. Because that one seems to fit perfectly. I just, you know, don't want to throw that... It matches Second Peter again, and we can't get there. That's right! That's right, we got all that. It Revelation talking about Hasatan being bound. Yes! Same concept. Okay, same concept. Well, anything else? How about just captives? Forget the spirits. Isn't there a Psalms like that? Yes! Yes! He... He led the captives free, or something like that. Yes! Ephesians 4 quotes from the psalm. Yes, almost directly. And gives gifts to them. Isaiah 61.1, I think is uh, perhaps one of the ones you're thinking. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to prevent liberty to the captives. The captives? The captive spirits. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Hmm. But maybe... These are people, not spirits. Let's move on. Psalm 68, 6 and 18, I think is where Jonathan's going. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. You ascended on high. 
leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. That's where Ephesians quotes from. And then Psalm 146.7, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free. Who are these prisoners that the Lord set free? Bible scholars. Well, the Isaiah 61 passage, isn't that in reference to the Jubilee year? Yes. Is there, maybe not scripturally, but traditionally, a release of... Absolutely. Yeah. Debts, prisoners, everything is opened up. We all start clean scratch. Okay? So this is physical, not spiritual. And I don't mean to spiritualize it. I'm saying this is not demons, angels, whatever. This is people. How about here? The Lord sets the prisoners free. Tell me about my sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. I'm, I'm not a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. I've been freed from the shackles of sin. Okay, that's scriptural. Barabbas was set free, and the Messianic hope was that they would be free from Roman dominion. Okay, and the Jews were looking for, I mean the zealots, big time, were looking for a political Messiah who would set them free from the shackles of these oppressive Lords. I also think of Joseph in the last psalm there. He okay. executes uh, justice for the oppressed. Because he is innocent, but yet still yeah. you know, prison. So, in, in each case, you all seem to be coming up with physical examples, not spiritual examples. I mean, am I spiritualizing to say that I've been free from my sin? I mean, the whole Egypt thing that we do on Shabbat is a parallel to the freedom that I have in Messiah Yeshua because I'm free from the penalty of sin. I'm no longer under the wrath of God. Right? We can start straying into those, you know, spiritual, spiritual examples. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm reminded of a time when Yeshua interacts with a legion of spirits. You know, you bring up a good thing. You notice this says Tanakh. Right. So let's change it so it says apostolic writings. How about that? Let's look at a couple of these. Would you read Luke 4, 18 and 19? Uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, a recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a reference, no doubt, to that same psalm, and he's talking about the Jubilee year, but even more. So we need to wonder, are these captives physical? Everything else is well, what's well, it, but to go back to that whole situation with Legion... Wait a minute, he should be on here. I don't see him there. Then well, let me throw out there a story of Legion. Go. Um, it's intriguing because it ends with the spirits, they want to be cast into a herd of pigs. And is it, is it, it's not time for you to torment them. Right, there's definitely this... Um, Foreboding? Very odd apocalyptic discussion between Yeshua and these spirits... As though somehow it's like, if you're going to cast us out of him, at least send us to the pigs. And it's like, where else would he cast them? Like, he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. What's going on here? Don't so, send us there. Right. We'll take the swine. When she was reading the statement, he does say it has been fulfilled in the hearing today. But it was definitely not a Yovel. So right. So perhaps it's not hidden. Well, he, he also did not quote the entire verse, right? Okay. 
Who wants to read Galatians 3.20? I got it right on the screen. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Ooh, so I got some captivity that isn't physical. We're under the law. We were all right. So we're the spirits held captive by the debilitating. No, no, I don't think so. I'm just looking for other captivity. That's an adjective. Who's got Ephesians 4 8? Somebody read that for me. John. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Okay, so gifts to men, Paul's going to go off in Ephesians and talk about this when we get the gifts given to the assembly of God. Um, when he ascended on high. When did he ascend on high? After. I'm sorry, it sounds so quiet here. When did he ascend on high? After the ascension. The ascension, the ascension, after was the after the crucifixion and the burial. Then we had the ascension. Is that when he ascended on high? Post-resurrection. So he led a host of captives. Were you in that train? Who was in that train? <laughs> well, I wasn't there. Were you there? Who is that? What's he talking about? He must have been there. He went down. Into, into hell. hell. Oh, yeah. Tartarus. Right. That's it. I knew it. <laughs> nice and green, baby. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, I believe in God the Father. Right? He was crucified, dead, and buried, and the third day was it. He descended into hell. Uh-huh. Yeah. And grabbed, he grabbed Abraham and David. Uh, yeah. And, and grabbed those guys up and the saints of old. And brought Moses them. and Elijah because yeah. they were already in the that's right, they were already there, right? Wow. By the way, the verse that we're examining in 1 Peter 3 is one of only one or two that are used to build the Nicene Creed. That's right. And the whole concept of Yeshua going to hell. Unbelievable. We're going to be seven cents. large But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written now that's tough. That's tough. That's a different class. What are you going to have to teach on that written code? Because that's not the oral Torah. Because that hasn't been written down yet. Ooh. Of course, I would just want to always throw out that since when does the spirit of the, inten- the intention of what someone writes less restrictive than what the person actually said? Don't don't do what I say. Do what I mean. That's right. Yeah. What? So, anyway, we do have several examples of this spiritualization, if you will, of Messiah's work in our lives. That we were captive to sin, and now we have the power to overcome. Matthew 20, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom indicating that we were in need of release. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went to proclaim to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. I want to look at proclaimed. We looked at the spirits, we looked at the prison, captives, all that. Let's look at proclaimed. What is that word? What's up with that? Preached. He preached. That's the word caruso. 
Right? It's yeah, almost yeah. always used as a herald, one who's going to announce, stand on the chair, say something, that kind of deal. Let's look at Caruso, to proclaim or to preach, are the two ways that we translate this in English the most. Um, just to give you an idea of how I like to do this, I like to look at the same word used by the same author. So I want to see, where else did Peter use this word, Caruso? So I want to be able to get some kind of contextual sense for how he thinks this word is used. That's a good thing to do. He only used it this one time. <laughs> the same thing. I like to look at the different word, like a synonym, used by the same author. Well, he could have used Caruso here, but he didn't. That's cool. Why didn't he? So he's differentiating between these two words. And I can look at the context of the second one, which hopefully I've got a little better, and compare with the first. He didn't use that. Any of the sins. Same word, Caruso, used by other authors. This word is used by everybody. I mean, over the top. Everybody uses this. And you know what it means? It means to proclaim or to preach. It doesn't mean to evangelize. The herald. He heralds. And it doesn't matter what he's heralding. Did you happen to have a Hebrew equivalent? I do. Older comments. And then finally, I like to look at other words with similar meaning that anybody used to just kind of play it out. So here... Dude, <laughs> dude. That was crazy. Thank you, thank you. Caruso. Unbelievable. I mean, over the top, used so much more than all these one-offs. But look at this. Catangelo. Catangelo is just like Caruso, but it has to do with the messenger. Or a message that's being proclaimed by a messenger. So the focus is not so much that this guy did it, but that it was done with a messenger. That's used by Paul big time. These are all parts of this word. They're all similar in some way, as, uh, as is this one um, and that one. So, and that one. There's, there's so much. Okay, so you can see, you know, half of the time that we've got preaching or proclaiming it's this word that Peter used. So it's nothing special. I wish I could give you something really cool here. First Peter 2.9. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession that you may proclaim. Same word. The ex excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. It's not the same word. It's Canangela. Right? Acts 16.17. Actually, it's probably... Um, somebody check that one for me. I can't remember what it is. I don't have an answer. First Peter 2 9? Yeah. Um, but it's different. Proclaim Acts 16 17 is the one that Paul uses, Catangelo. What do you got there? Acts 16 17. She followed Paul and uh, and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God. Proclaim to you the way of salvation. She's got really nasty hair. Yeah. Okay. Anybody have that word there? What's that word? That one is uh, Exagelo. Yeah. Really so, I think that's ex angelo. Yeah. Like two, uh, two G's. 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 Two G's.
So, you know, I want to leave. I wish, I wish I could use this as a great example that there's some coolness about the word each other. There's not. It's so generic. And it's so. We just keep proclaiming. Not with a motive in mind, as uh, um, anything with euangelizo, uh, right? Evangelize is not in mind. It's not a focus on what was proclaimed, but just that there was a proclamation. Okay? So let's take a look now at, at two more pieces here and then we'll finish. Are we going to do that Hebrew equivalent? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I not have it on the previous one? Um, was it like Mavisera, though? Oh, no, it's real short. It's real short. I can grab it. Um, I may have it in another slide. Um, I, I thought I put it in the sky, but I beg your pardon. Alright, they formally did not obey. So what was Peter's focus through his whole letter? Behavior. Be obedient. How you act matters. Your behavior matters. These guys did not obey. So again, to Rick's point, this is a historical look at somebody who didn't obey. These guys did not obey. So when? So these are people who are in the time when no one was doing And we don't know that they're people because he right. says specifically spirits. spirits. So there's a spirit who did not obey when Noah, when Noah's dead. Well, it's basically. Right. So we got about a hundred year play. Yeah, I think that's really important in trying to figure out what he's talking about here because a lot of the um, rather creative explanations uh, totally ignore the time period. Yeah. And Peter goes out of his way I mean, look, to he's, put a time he's, marker. He's got a, a big time here. The, the Them and what happened then? Yeah, no question about it. Yeah. So, Jude 5 through 7. Who wants to read that in a nice, loud, masculine voice? Go ahead, Brock. Oh, oh no, try the masculine voice. <laughs> <laughs> Now I want to. <laughs> that wasn't Brock. <laughs> now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Yeshua, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, Serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of the eternal fire. What do we see in Jude's reference? A couple things. First off, this has nothing to do with the class, but did you know that it was Jesus who took his people out of Egypt? Well, textual variances. No. Well, maybe not. Jesus is original. So, let's look at what we've got. The angels did not stay within their own position, the angels left their position. It didn't stay where they were supposed to. In fact, they were disobedient. They left their proper dwelling, disobedience. He's got them in eternal chains. You could call that prison. Okay? And sexual immorality and pursuing unnatural desire is associated with their disobedience. I'm just reading from the scripture, trying to avoid the word Nephilim. Okay? Oh. <laughs> so, so, but, so, but they're kept in chains until the judgment of the great day. That is correct. Now, it doesn't say that he freed them. It just says that he proclaimed to the spirits in prison. I'm just looking for biblical examples of spirits in prison. So you're you're not touching on that previous passage you put out about him 
ascending with the captives? No, because I believe that we've all agreed that the captives were us. We've all agreed that? With, did I didn't hear anybody else saying that there was any other captives that they could be. He ascended with captives. He set the captives free. Well, it could be the uh, the guys who resurrect right around the time his resurrection. Yeah. It could have been. Yeah, that, that makes but sense. did he ascend with them? They were there and seeing well, the people. Well, it depends on if you describe ascension as going up into heaven or just getting up out of the ground. Okay. Hmm. Okay. I think that the scripture is clear between resurrection and ascension. Not only that, the quote from Psalms, the Psalms indicates that it's not just simply resurrection. It's yeah, up to heaven. It's, yeah, to heaven. So I, I would say... Don't know. Understood. There's a lot of this. I'm not trying to come to a conclusion. I'm just trying to show you how I'm studying it. Well, let's look at the next one. Genesis 6, 1 and 2. 4 and 5 had the Nephilim. When man began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives as they chose. Huh. Well, that, I mean, sons of God seems to be juxtaposed against daughters of man, and to me, just a, a reading of it would indicate that sons of God would be some kind of angelic being, and daughters of man would be some type of fleshly being. But I don't know. So I want to look at every example of sons of God in the scripture. Well, Job 1 6 and 2 1 are almost identical. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. It's very clear in Job, in those two passages, that the sons of God are angels. They're spiritual beings, they are angels. There are no other references to sons of God in the Tanakh, except one. You'll find it right over there. Deuteronomy 32.8. If your Bible says sons of God, you need to look at the Hebrew. It's when God allotted all of the nations out of this land they'd get. And he did it according to the number of the sons of God. But if you look at the Hebrew, it says sons of Israel. Not God. How we got that in English, I do not know. Don't like it. <laughs> well, what about the, the song? Something you're all sons of God, but I didn't put that one up only because you have no idea if he's talking about a physical description or a spiritual reality. And we have the same thing in the apostolic scriptures. Because he quotes that same song. Well, I remember the same thing on the mountain. You're a nation of priests. Exactly. Yeah. Good. So, I mean, we've got something juxtaposed so we know what's going on. It appears sons of God, sons of the angels, but... The preponderance is that way. We've got some one-offs that seem to be descriptions about who we are, rather than we are. In Daniel, the Bar Elohim, or Bar Elohim, says the angel who was in is, is in the furnace, he's described as the son of God, Bar Elohim, but that he, he said, oh, he must be an angel. Yeah, it is um, a one who is like a son of God, I think is, is yeah. how our English puts it, right? But it, it's it's not... Uh, right. so, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, how many went in the fire? Three. How many came out of the fire? Three. Three. So what do you think about the fourth guy? Who must still be in the fire? Think he's a guy? Yeah. Let's take a look at other literature. I had the opportunity to spend 99 cents on Sunday. 99 cents! And I bought the book of Enoch. 
Cool Holy book. cow. Cool book. Bad science, cool book. Yeah, very bad science. Like most school books. I tell you what, we are going to have a class on how the Book of Enoch, which was written between 100 and 200 before the Common Era, seems to have dramatically influenced not only the apostolic writers, but the Master himself. I am flabbergasted. I'm reading through it, I'm like, I've seen that. He quoted the scriptures. Actually, Jude Actually, Enoch. Enoch. Exactly. And he word mentions for word. Enoch. Yeah. yeah. The first chapter of Enoch. It's unbelievable. So, I heard the voice of the angel saying, these are the angels who descended to the earth. He's describing, by the way, the writer of the book of Enoch is describing what we're talking about. And he says, I heard the voice of the angel saying, these are the angels who descended on the earth and revealed what was hidden to the children of men and seduced the children of men into committing sin. First Enoch or Enoch. I, I really don't know how to put together all the things there. That's Seems probably the Enoch. All the subsequents were probably uh, uh, pseudogryphic. Pseudogryphic or whatever they were, yeah. I, I mean, there seemed to be four different books, and I can't really figure out what's going on about it. There seemed to be some kind of a chapter 5 and verse 2 deal, but I can show you where it is. But I've got seduction, and I've got angels coming down on the earth. Seems to be pretty consistent with what you were saying. There's another one. This one's even better. And he will imprison those angels, which angels, who have shown unrighteousness in that burning valley which my grandfather Enoch had formerly shown to me. From that fiery molten metal and from the convulsion thereof in that place, there has produced a smell of sulfur. And it was connected with those waters in that valley of the angels who had led astray mankind. They burned beneath that land. And through its valleys proceed streams of fire where these angels are punished who did what? Have led astray those who dwell upon the earth. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. We looked at the genre, we looked at the context, the risen audience, the character of the author, we looked at other scripture, we even looked at other literature. So what's the bottom line? How do we answer Tom in Myrtle Beach who asks what this means? For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. I believe that that is a factual statement of an example, using an example of Messiah to encourage us. And in such, we have the who, the why, and the how. Who was the righteous for the unrighteous? Why? That he might bring us to God. How? By being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And I noticed that in the flesh and in the spirit are paralleled, and there seems to be a antithesis, antithesis between death and alive. Was it a second thing? Not yet. Okay. The rest of it, in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Again, how? He went in the spirit. To who? The spirits in prison. Why? Because they formerly did not obey. When? When God's patience was waiting in the days of Noah. Very simple. Not a lot of hassle here. Seems very consistent, both in English and in the Greek. There's a lot of commentary out there. One, that the pre-incarnate Christ preached to Noah. Pre-incarnate Christ preached to Noah. Oh, through Noah. So he's using... Through Noah. Right. Via Noah. Okay. That's what that paragraph meant? Wow. That's not what I got. 
Between death and resurrection, Christ went to the fallen angel in prison. Nicene Creed. That is the Nicene Creed. What's the problem? Theologically, tell me the problem with that second one. That he died, and then while he's dead, he went and preached or proclaimed to these spirits, these bad guys in prison. And then was resurrected. What's the problem? It's based off of two verses. Okay, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of, of foundation for it. That's good. I got something better. So what? It doesn't take into consideration the time marker. That's the time marker is pointing back and doesn't seem to have anything to do with the, the death and resurrection of the Master, but rather that he did this afterwards. Hmm. Alive in the Spirit. Guys, our faith rests on the fact that Messiah Yeshua died. And the scripture is replete, especially in Ecclesiastes. When you're dead, the plans are gone. <laughs> when you're dead, you're done. You don't do anything while you're dead. If he did something while he's dead, he cheated. <laughs> and your faith doesn't mean squat. He died. And three days later, God demonstrated his power and that he accepted that sacrifice and raised him from the dead. That power is the power we get. If he did anything while he's dead, it's a sham. There's no way. If you believe that between the death and the resurrection, he was doing stuff, then he's not a man. He died as a man. He did not sin. If you believe that he did anything while he was laying on that slab, you don't believe what we believe. And your faith is not the faith that we have. What would you do with the souls underneath the altar in that context? In Revelation. I would say that they're not going anywhere. They're not doing anything. They're, they're crying out. But they are crying out. I'll, I'll go with that. But they're not accomplishing things. Plus, these are completely different. And, it's, and the genre is apocalyptic. It may not be. It may not be. It's not describing. It not, and they may not be describing a factual. That they're factual, physically they're crying not describing out. an actual. Right. Something in happens. If they died, then in God's mind they could be crying. Again, different genre could work. I just, I, I just have a, a, from a from a theological perspective. This is a big deal. Well, there's a reason why... And the Nicene Creed jumped on this. That's, and re that's and there's a reason why, because, as you said, the resurrection is the point. Mm -hmm. And what you just described, there was no need for resurrection. He's already doing stuff. The only purpose for resurrection in what this theology teaches, the only purpose is to somehow see everybody, he's alive. It's like, everybody didn't see him, so it didn't matter. Exactly right. It's exactly right. So, while he was dead, he sent emails... They made correspondence. He checked the mailbox, you know, right. and, he, and he visited a couple of players. Yeah. And this makes me think, well, it's a different genre again. But in the Psalms, David said, "If I go down to Sheol, right. I, who's going to who will proclaim you?" That's right. So I'm, no one's I'm, I'm, I'm praying and proclaiming and glorifying you. You want me here, right. not down there. And no one proclaims in Sheol. Exactly. Well, I was just saying, it's like it's like having a snack in Yaki Forest. It's cheap. Exactly. It's like you defeated purpose. I like the last one that's that all three of these by the way are very popular. I mean, I, you may think that, you know, we just dinged the second one here and it was like it's no brainer. Who would believe that? Ha ha ha. 
The vast majority of Christians believes this. In fact, the definition of Orthodox Christianity requires you to believe that. Exactly right. And when I was growing up, guys, every single Sunday, we would say, either the the Apostolic or the Nicene's Creed, out loud, that we believed that this was the case. And uh, what's the point, though? Why why is that such a big calling card? Because they have put together a theological schema that says... This is how it all worked, and now it's all done. Well, if it's all done, then I don't have any responsibility other than to believe. Well, it, it fits very well with the with the I'm sorry. It fits very well with the Greek mythology of the day as well. It perfectly fits in. It slips right in. It explains everything. Oh, look! Cross the river Styx. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about preaching to fallen angels. No, that he preached. Uh, to the to those in hell in Hades, he went this to Hades. Is this is this well, actually making well, sense for Christ? But there's no fallen angels, right? Because yeah. well, we're going to talk the about well, what's, he, what's he proclaiming? Well, we're going to well, right? talk about what he's going to proclaim. Bef- you know, I wanted to lay out there before I tell you what I think. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the proclamation of the Okay, Jude. When somebody goes all the way down, as you're saying, um, they're gone. Right. No, it's too late. No, no, it's right. Once a man die, and then a judgment. So that's where Peter's coming from. It's like, What's why would we preach to the guys exactly. in, in prison? To, to mock them. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> Finally, that's, that's the between death and resurrection, Christ went to the abode of the dead and preached to the spirits of the rebellious dead of Noah's age, pre-flood, and preached to them. This is not spirits... As we understand spirits from the apostolic scriptures, it's always demons or angels. It's never people. Ever. So, now he's preaching to the spirits of the rebellious dead people. Like Jude is saying. Why so that, what? Though? What's the point? Yeah. And why that? And why, 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 why these specific? Do they not hear about yeah. the sign? Super special. Super special. Well, yeah. well Bassus would say that he went and he preached first to the hot side, mocking them, and then he went to the cold side and, and brought them. Bosom and took them out. And took them out. Because right. all of, I mean, the Baptist theology says that all of the dead in Messiah prior to the resurrection were in hell. Stayed in hell on the cool side until his resurrection. Because no one comes to the Father but by him, and that was when he went to the Father. And Don't touch me! Ascended. I haven't ascended Even though he was to the Father. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, details in the way of a good story. <laughs> spirit wasn't yet given. That's right. No spirit in the Old Testament. The point, though, here, I mean, again, you can easily dismiss this, but this is so unbelievably ingrained, at least in Baptist wow. theology, that I remember as a young adolescent. Looking in my Bible, pulling this passage up, going, "Wait, I don't think it says that. Where are they getting this?" Exactly. Because you just assume it has to be there somewhere. Which reference was it in? Right. See, I've always heard of the good that died before uh, Messiah's resurrection as being in Abraham's bosom. That's right. Exactly. Because he comes from the parallel. That's the cold side. That's the cold side. That's the cold side. I've taught that. <laughs> well, it's to say hell was the wrong. Inc- to be theologically correct, the word being used is Hades. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not to heaven. Yeah. The hot side and the cold side. The hot side is like that. I've been to Gehenna. I got, I got you unless you're stretching in there. Stretching. Stretching. Stretch. Stretch. Go. It is, it is an important 
It is an important point for the church because it makes the cross a huge marker. It's a delineating marker. It's a marker. Because nothing could have happened before the cross. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I don't think they actually believe it, though. Because when you ask them if you think Abraham is in heaven, yeah, it's like part well, of, of course the church. He's not. Well, they don't think about it. But I, I, I think we need to be careful with what people are taught versus what they believe. Yeah. You go to your average concert, B-flat Presbyterian church, and tell them, do you believe that the Jews are the chosen people of God? Absolutely. Do you believe that you've replaced them? What? No, certainly not. Okay. You're in a church that believes that. Do you know your seminaries teach Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, good, good point. All right, so the theology matters. So, now let me, let me kind of articulate with the conclusion that I came to based on this. Apparently, Peter finds it noteworthy to bring up the fact that these spirits or angels were disobedient in the days of Noah. Moses writes about it. Jude writes about it. Jude ties it to sexual immorality. The book of Enoch, just before the Master was born, talks about the same thing. It was known in Judaism. But what's the point? If the point of the book, if the point of the letter is to get me to change my behavior and to stop messing around, if the time for my sexual escapades has come to a close, I've had enough time for what Gentiles do, and now I should do good. I should be marked by obedience. Then what's the point in bringing these guys up? I submit as a perfect example to say, you should live this way. You should suffer for what's good. Don't suffer. What do you get for suffering for, for doing something wrong? Hello? Nobody cares. It's justified that you should suffer. But if you suffer for doing right, that's top shelf, guys. I mean, Christ suffered once for the ungodly. The righteous for the unrighteous. What a great example he is. And you know, here's another example. He proclaimed to the, to the spirits in prison in the days of Noah. You know who I'm talking about. They didn't act right, and they're bound because of their disobedience. So the question then is, if we understand why he's putting it in his letter, they must have understood what he must have proclaimed. I think, if you take the scriptures as a whole, it's obvious. It's obvious from the Garrison Legion guy, the pigs. It's obvious from the other guys that cry out, Oh! Jesus of Nazareth, don't torment us yet! They know what's going to happen. They know the end result. And they know it's undeniable and unavoidable. I believe, and I, I may be wrong, 
But my take on it is, there's no way he could write that unless his audience would already know what he proclaimed. And I think what he proclaimed... Guys? Now. Now you're indeed doing it. Because <laughs> I finished the work. I think that's the message. I think that's what he proclaimed. I don't think he gave them another chance. I don't think he gave them some kind of gospel goo-goo. I don't think he said anything other than, I have overcome. And you guys, it's going to be hard to get a grip on the porcelain when you're swimming in a circle. Flush. It's coming. That's what I think it was. He proclaimed his resurrection to them. And I don't think he had to go anywhere to do it. But that proclamation was made to all of those who had been waiting for 3,000 years. Guys, time's near now. Because what you did was very wrong. And I just finished the work. In, in support of that, by the way, I agree. But in support of that, one of, the, one of the things that you... First of all, Judaism, modern Judaism, has rejected Absolutely. this perspective. They don't read... Uh, um, you know, Genesis, or do you well, you Genesis. Know, they, don't, they don't read Genesis as saying this. Uh, and the reason why, I think, is because Enoch is such a profound book for messianic expectations Absolutely. and was used yeah. by the church in such a way Absolutely. as a bludgeon, so they just reject it outright. Um, but there's no question that Judaism in the centuries prior to Yeshua um, uh, being born absolutely believe this because it's found many different places outside of the Bible that make reference to this. Yes. But in addition, if you read and you and you suppose the purpose behind the Genesis explanation, then it's to corrupt and to negate the to work cor- of Messiah. To, to corrupt mankind in order that there cannot be a Messiah. That's right. And if that's the case then it is the resurrection and the finished work of the resurrection that shuts it all down. You failed in your attempt in Genesis. That's right. And because of that, this is proof that it's it's all over. There's nothing you can do to stop it now. That's right. It's been done. If, if, if I could just give one more uh, biblical example, it would be, who is the prince of this world? Hasatan. Right? I mean, the scriptures say that. And we don't wrestle with uh, we wrestle with uh, not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and, and spiritual beings in high places and so forth. So I, I would submit that these angels that left their proper domain and came down to earth, they left their realm and came to our realm in an attempt to corrupt. Mankind. That, that Messiah would eventually come through. And now he has left his domain and has entered ours and has preserved our race. Another motif of First Peter that you brought out very much was suffering. Mm-hmm. And if it's true that Peter is writing to the Jewish audience, they've since time began have been suffering at the hands of the Gentiles. That's right. And if it's true that in Jewish theology the 
nations had over them what they considered gods but were actually angels, then the whole message is that, well, it's not really... It is, but it's not only just the nations, it's the forces behind them, as Daniel 10 mentions. Which is why Paul, when we just quoted Ephesians 6, and in Colossians says that Messiah disarmed the rulers, put them to open shame, triumphed over them. It's all the same message. And that triumph over them could actually be this proclamation. Not a preaching, but a proclamation. And and then I think that the, the reason for why Peter is giving this illustration is tying back in, in some respects, with what Paul talks about in that in in the future will we not judge angels? In other words, saying that those who like Yeshua endure the suffering well, yes. there's a reward for that. And look, he triumphs. See the victory that he has. That can be yours also. Exactly. And I was I would back up. You know, uh, seven verses earlier, he makes it clear: you don't want to suffer for doing bad. That doesn't get anything. Suffer for doing good. Christ did this, suffered for doing bad, uh, for doing good, and what did he do? He proclaimed to these guys who were suffering for what? Doing bad. I think, first of all, I believe that what he is describing as proclaiming the spirits, I believe that is a actual historical fact. Absolutely. Just however, like Noah and the rest. However, it's ironic to me that that the people that read this in in seminaries, sorry, but in seminaries and develop a whole theology from it, from one verse, a whole theology from it. Which is part of a sentence. Miss the whole way that that Jews have always taught. Because it doesn't really matter if it happened or not. That's right. This is a story that you've heard. He's talking to an audience that's heard the story. And I know people are feeling comfortable with Midrash and did it really happen or not. You're missing the point. If you're focusing on when it ha- if it happened or not, you've you completely missed the, missed point. the point. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're completely missing the point. They focus on one verse and instead forget that it's all about don't be like those that disobey. That's, that's exactly the right. point. That's, exa- that's it. And do right. And this is, it sounds like the fulfillment of the verse in Genesis 3 where God puts uh, enmity between the offspring of, of the serpent where the guy's being chained and the right. and the offspring of the so there, there's the example of it. Yep. Good. Second Peter. Second Peter. Is almost a uh, paraphrase of himself here. Right. And in chapter 2 of Second Peter, he, he, the link to me is Noah. Noah. Absolutely. Because in both First and Second Peter, he mentions Noah and he talks about angels. And in Second Peter 2, verse 4, um, he says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but reserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. How much more? And then, continuing dot, 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 towards the end, And the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Right. And essentially, again, it's it's... The reason why he's using this is like we just talked about. He's a juxtaposition. Righteousness gets reward. Obedience. Yeah. yeah. Disobedience and sin gets judgment. And that's it. There it is. It's too simple. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it really is so simple that if you see it in the context, as as Taylor was trying to bring us a couple weeks ago, if you see it in the context, theology matters. So you can't come up with the weird stuff. But... What's Peter trying to teach us? Guys, 
the inside of the kingdom. Be known for, for, for doing right, doing good. There's enough examples that we have of those who did not. It shouldn't be a problem. Comments or questions on what we talk about here? My plan is to take all of the weirdness of uh, Enoch, the book of Enoch, um, which is mentioned in the scriptures, full disclosure, um, and I'm going to take every piece of it and try and parallel it. I've got to tell you, I was absolutely flabbergasted. I'm reading this non-scriptural book, and I'm reading something, and I'm going, well, hang on a second. This guy is quoting the scriptures. Here and here, and I'm highlighting. <laughs> and here, and here, and here, and then about the fifth one I'm highlighting. I'm like, well, hang on a second. None of that, none of that was written by the when he wrote this. Every scholar, it's almost completely unanimous that the Book of Enoch, whoever wrote it, wrote it before the Messiah was born. In fact, a hundred years or more before him. Now, there are some folks that say that Daniel was not written here in the middle of this wall, but right around the time of the Maccabees, which is right around the time of Enoch. Now, I don't believe that. I believe that Daniel was written before you had Alexander and all of the conquests going on, and therefore was prophetic and not historical. It's not a history book. It's a prophetic book. What this guy writes, or these guys wrote, prior to the days of the Master, is extraordinary, and seems to have had a dramatic impact on the apostolic writings. So I think there's going to be some value in at least looking to say, huh, Judaism was reading this stuff, and it impacted, I mean, the Master almost directly quotes from him. He likes the Son of Man. Yeah, and so is Enoch. And uh, the, the Lord of the Spirits is what uh, Enoch normally calls God. And that phrase actually appears in Genesis. It's it's amazing. So, All right, well, let's... Uh, yes. Doesn't Moses also say the same thing? Lord, or a God of the spirits in all flesh? Uh or he, he did, but he, but he, I know for a fact that he wrote Genesis, so I'm right, going to say right, yes so regardless. I, mean, <laughs> I know I, I know, I, I know I got a good one there. You know. <laughs> Gregory, would you close us in prayer, sir? Sure thing. Avinu Malkeinu, what a privilege it is to come together to fellowship as brothers and to learn more about your scripture, about your word, and about the revelation that you gave before us. Thank you so much. Father, for sending your Son on our behalf, that we may learn from his words and learn from the men that he taught, and that we may apply this to our lives in everywhere that we go, everywhere that our foot may travel this week. Bless us, Lord, with peace and wisdom as we go about our day. Messiah Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.